Welcome to Do Tell, where we dwell on the everyday lovely. My name is Ryan, and it's my hope that this podcast encourages you in your relationship with God and helps you focus on the lovely life He has given you. Merry Christmas, everyone. Thank you for tuning into our last episode before we take a couple weeks off to enjoy Christmas and New Year's. I truly hope you are enjoying this beautiful time of year. Today, for our dwelling moment, we are going to focus on what being home for Christmas means to you. I'll Be Home for Christmas is my favorite non-religious Christmas song. It is such a beautiful and important concept to be home for Christmas. I think of the movie I'll Be Home for Christmas and the change that happened in Jake's heart about being with his family. So go ahead and pause this podcast and dwell on what being home for Christmas looks like to you. What picture in your head do you see when you hear those words? Then press play again when you're ready. Today we are talking about the concept of I'll Be Home for Christmas. I hope you had some lovely memories or thoughts about what that means to you. You probably guessed I would take this a little deeper, though. I'm not just talking about the physical part of being home for Christmas, but also your soul being home for Christmas. I know you've heard the saying, home is where the heart is. So to get at this point today, we are actually going to talk about King Solomon and read the book of Ecclesiastes. We will start reading, and then I'll tie I'll Be Home for Christmas and my favorite book in the Bible all together. Before we read... I just want to thank God for your word that is light and life to those who find it. I thank you that your word is alive and active, and as we read it, you speak to us and give us a new revelation. I want to give you some background before we start. So the author of Ecclesiastes is King Solomon. Solomon was the son of King David. If you don't remember David, yes, this is the same David that fought Goliath that became king king of Israel for 40 years, according to 1 Kings, and he had a heart after God. David was extremely successful, but he was dying, and it it was time for a successor. Long story short, David chose his son Solomon to replace him, but the most memorable part of Solomon was in 1 Kings 3, verses 3 through 13. And we read, And Solomon loved the Lord, walking in the statutes of his father David, except that he sacrificed and burned incense at the high places. Now the king went to Gibeon to sacrifice there, for that was the great high place. Solomon offered a thousand burnt offerings on that altar. At Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night, and God said, Ask, what shall I give you? And Solomon said, You have shown great mercy to your servant David, my father because he walked before you in truth, in righteousness, and in uprightness of heart with you. You have continued this great kindness for him, and you have given him a son to sit on his throne, as it is this day. Now, O Lord my God, you have made your servant king instead of my father David. But I am a little child. I do not know how to go out or come in. And your servant is in the midst of your people, whom you have chosen, a great people, too numerous to be numbered or counted. Therefore, give to your servant an understanding heart to judge your people, that I may discern between good and evil, for who is able to judge this great people of yours? The speech pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this thing. Then God said to him, 
because you have asked this thing and have not asked long life for yourself, nor have asked riches for yourself, nor have asked the life of your enemies, but have asked for yourself understanding to discern justice. Behold, I have done according to your words. See, I have given you a wise and understanding heart, so that there has not been anyone like you before you, nor shall any like you arise after you. And I have also given you what you have not asked, both riches and honor, so that there shall not be anyone like you among the kings all your days. So if you walk in my ways, to keep my statutes and my commandments, as your father David walked, then I will lengthen your days. So Solomon was the wisest man on the earth ever. We read in Kings about Solomon's life, and Solomon also wrote the book of Ecclesiastes, Songs of Solomon, and the book of Proverbs. Solomon's wisdom was renowned. He was the richest, wisest man. No one compared to him. And this is why I love the book of Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes was written later in Solomon's life, after he had 700 wives and 300 concubines. In 1 Kings 11.4, we read, For it came to pass, when Solomon was old, that his wives turned away his heart after other gods, and his heart was not perfect with the Lord his God, as was the heart of David his father. Solomon, this was the man who had spent years building the house of the Lord, and now he was actually building altars for other gods, letting his wives go offer sacrifices to them. So everything we read in Ecclesiastes, we have from a viewpoint of a man who had it all, who was even greater in areas of riches and wisdom than his father David. Yet he lost his heart after God. If home is where your heart is, then Solomon's home was no longer with God. So let's get to Ecclesiastes 1, 1 through 11. The words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. What profit has a man from all his labor, in which he toils under the sun? One generation passes away, and another generation comes, but the earth abides forever. The sun also rises, and the sun goes down, and hastens to the place where it arose. The wind goes toward the south, and turns around to the north. The wind whirls about continually and comes again on its circuit. All the rivers run into the sea, yet the sea is not full. To the place from which the rivers come, there they return again. All things are full of labor. Man cannot express it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. That which has been is what will be. That which is done is what will be done. And there is nothing new under the sun. Is there anything of which it may be said, See, this is new. It has already been in ancient times before us. There is no remembrance of former things, nor will there be any remembrance of things that are to come by those who will come after. Well, if you haven't read Ecclesiastes, there you go. This pretty much sums it up. I actually just got back from vacation and went to church out in Montana where the pastor described Ecclesiastes as a downer of a book. I can't really disagree. This is definitely a book for those realists out there. I can relate to that. I can relate it to one maybe slightly brutal friend that always brings you back to reality. That's a pretty good description of it. 
And you'd never guess it, but it's my favorite book in the Bible. Sounds pretty crazy from the girl who dwells on the lovely, right? But as we read in verse 1, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. Another word for vanity here is empty or worthless. So Solomon is saying, worthless, worthless, all is worthless. Or empty, empty, all is empty. Then he goes into, one generation passes away, another one comes. He talks about the sun coming up and going down, the rivers leading to the sea, yet the sea is never full, yet the rivers always flowing. Basically, what Solomon is saying here is that the earth and everything in it has been set in motion and has continued in that motion since it started. Even though people are dying every day, new babies are being born to replace them. Even though the sun goes down, it always comes back up. The best way I can think to explain it, if you're lost here, is the water cycle. Going to keep it basic and skip some of the steps, but we start with precipitation, which is rain. Then we have surface runoff, where the water from the rain collects on the ground. Next is evaporation, when the water heats up and turns to gas, traveling back into the air. Condensation, where the water forms back together again in the clouds. And then we're back to precipitation, where it rains and the water comes back to the earth. Although the stages of the water cycle look different to us, there's actually no more water being created, and there's no water being destroyed. It continues in its cycle with the same water, water particles all of the days of its life. If you're a science buff, you've heard that matter is neither created nor destroyed. This is what Solomon is trying to get across here. We live our lives trying to be the biggest and the best, achieving all of these things we think make a difference, that people will admire us, want to be us, that we will be remembered. But is that really the case? We can't affect death and birth, the sun rising or setting. Now we're going somewhere with this because you're not meaningless and your life and what you do in it does matter. But just bear with me here. In Ecclesiastes 2, uh, 2.10-11, through 11, Solomon continues, Whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I did not withhold my heart from any pleasure, for my heart rejoiced in all my labor, and this was my reward from all my labor. Then I looked on all the works that my hands had done, and on the labor in which I had toiled, and indeed all was vanity and grasping for the wind. There was no profit under the sun. In Ecclesiastes 5.15, As he came from his mother's womb, naked shall he return, to go as he came, and he shall take nothing from his labor, which he may carry away in his hand. Now I want you to remember, this is coming from a man who had turned his heart from the Lord. Everything he had accomplished, which was much, all the riches he had, which was the most anyone had, all the wisdom he had, in which he was the wisest of them all, meant nothing. It left him empty. He was seeing the end of his life, and he realized, wow, none of the things I created in this world will go with me after death. This huge kingdom I grew, it stays here when I'm gone, and there will be a new king that the people adore, and the new babies born that won't even know me. All that I have achieved in this world, I do not take with me in death. Emptiness and worthlessness, that's what he felt. We see many times in Ecclesiastes, Solomon say, this is also vanity and grasping for the wind. And this is another reason I love this book. If we are talking about you standing outside with just your hands trying to grasp the wind, it's truly impossible. 
The wind is not something you can grasp and hold in your hands. As we read earlier, it's on its own circuit. It moves and moves, and you can't contain it in your hands. It's a moving target. Solomon is somewhat comparable to our highest net worth celebrities. The last time I looked, I think Rihanna was like number five on that list, worth billions. You know, she has multiple houses. She's friends with the rich and famous. She walks red carpets with the most glamorous and expensive outfits. She has the most exclusive invites. She probably very rarely hears the word no. She is as accomplished as they come. So this is Solomon, except to an even larger scale than Rihanna. He said that whatever he desired, he took it. He let his heart get what his heart wanted. Pretty clear in his 700 wives. Yet he says that it was all vanity and grasping for the wind. There was no profit under the sun. Even though he had everything, it was empty and worthless. He was empty. How many successful people do we see commit suicide? Because they're still empty inside. See, we are made with a desire to learn and grow. We want to be able to experience everything this world has to offer. We want to be full and satisfied. But just like we read in Ecclesiastes 1.8, the eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. As amazing as riches, power, prestige, adventures, there is absolutely nothing in this world alone by itself that can fully satisfy us. I was reading a book last night, and these friends were in a fight, and one of the friends said, you know, you are a one-day happy person. One day when I get my dream job, I'll be happy. One day when I get married, I'll be happy. One day when I have kids, I'll be happy. One day when I'm gray and old, I'll be happy. Felt like that explained this point pretty well. She was grasping after the wind. She was trying to be Solomon. But what we hear from Solomon, the man who literally had it all, is that all and worthless is empty. There is no meaning to all of the status, riches, and accomplishments. Now, let me get to the good part here. Because, see, Ecclesiastes is not telling you that your life is meaningless and nothing you do will satisfy you. It's all pointless. It's telling you that this is the case if you're living your life without God. God is the only thing that can give your life the satisfaction and the purpose and the meaning that you so desperately want. See, I'm still a goal-setting person. I've got big dreams to be on the top in my field, to be successful and well-off to take care of my family and my church, to be the best friend possible. I wake up every day happy, saying this is the day the Lord has made, and I will rejoice and be glad in it, because God wants to give us the desires of our hearts. But my focus is not to accomplish these things for my glory and praise, but for God's. I want everything I do to be a blessing to others, because that's how God has made us, blessed to be a blessing. There's nothing wrong with riches and honor, God was the one, after all, who gave both of those things to Solomon, and every good and perfect gift comes from above. The problem in the riches and prestige is when we love it and hold it higher than God, when we take the glory for it and show no honor to God for it. Remember, Solomon turned his heart from the Lord, and he said yes to absolutely everything he wanted. Although he was the wisest man alive, he still had flesh and sin to say yes and no to and Solomon chose to live in sin. Living in sin makes our life empty. See, whether you're a Christian or not, you have a conscience, that thing inside you that tells you right and wrong. You have a moral compass in you. When you are a Christian, you also have the Holy Spirit inside of you and God's word in your hearts. 
you know even more the difference between living in the flesh and living in the spirit. Living in sin is grasping at the wind, thinking that this pleasure will satisfy me. But then you need more of it because it doesn't satisfy you for long. You need more and more, and then you're a slave to it. In Matthew McConaughey's book, Green Light, he says, we fool ourselves in freedom if we think it means getting rid of the constraints around us. We need finance, sorry, we need finites, borders, gravity, demarcations, shape, and resistance to have order. This order creates responsibility. The responsibility creates judgment. The judgment creates choice. And in the choice lies freedom. Now, normally, I don't add outside quotes, but McConaughey put a great outside perspective of what the Bible says about living and shows the devastation of Solomon's life not having borders. See, God appeared to Solomon twice and told him this, If you walk in my ways and obey my statutes and commands as David your father did, I will give you a long life. But Solomon chose instead to marry women who worshipped other gods. Then they started making their way into Solomon's heart, and soon enough, he was building altars for other gods and watching sacrifices be made to them. Solomon said yes to whatever his flesh desired, and he lost his moral compass and lost his freedom to pursue life with a heart after God, because how could he not have regrets about everything wrong he was doing? How could he love God freely with all of his heart when half of his heart was against God? Solomon was not living in peace and a sound mind within himself as his flesh and soul battled each other. Then we see after this entire book of Ecclesiastes, where Solomon has truly searched out the meaning of life with the most wisdom that any man on earth will ever have. And this is what he concludes with. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is man's all. For God will bring every work into judgment, including every secret thing, whether good or evil. If you have been listening to my podcast since the beginning, we have been covering who God is through his names. We've talked about how he is love. He is our father. He's our banner. He is the God who sees us. God and God alone is good. So when we talk about fearing him, we're respecting him, and we awfully keep his commandments, awfully as in awe, because he is all-powerful and all-knowing. In 1 Kings, it talks about the people flocking to Solomon to hear all that he had to say because of how wise he was. God is the creator of this world and the creator of humans. He knows exactly how this world works and how we work. When we get to the New Testament, this is a conversation Jesus has about the commandments. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and prophets hang on these two commandments. Matthew 22, 36-40 All of the Ten Commandments lie in those two commandments. These are what, although Solomon lived before Jesus and did not have these New Testament commandments yet, Solomon has come to the conclusion that this is a worthwhile, satisfying life. Loving God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and loving your neighbor as yourself. Now, this isn't just the Ten Commandments we're talking about. Solomon also wrote the book of Proverbs. He did have wisdom from the Lord. And every one of those Proverbs is another way that we can fear the Lord by treasuring those commandments and instructions in our hearts. 
In fact, my favorite part, proverb is to guard your heart above all else. As we can see what can happen when we take our heart off of God, emptiness. God helps us to see the lovely in everything. He helps us dwell on what is true and noteworthy and honorable. All of God's commandments are for our good, not for his good, for our good. And he would know that because he alone is good. If people flock to hear the wisdom of Solomon, why would we not flock to the Bible to hear the wisdom of the God who created the whole world and everything in it? Like McConaughey says, we fool ourselves if we think taking constraints off gives us freedom. When we think we don't have to live by the commandments, when we open up ourselves to everything, that's not freedom. That's a bondage. Because how do you say no? The Bible says this about freedom. 1 Corinthians 6.12 I have the right to do anything you say but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but I will not be mastered by anything. 2 Corinthians 3.17 says, Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And Psalm 119.45 says, I will walk about in freedom, for I have sought out your precepts. Freedom and worth are found in God and God alone. Reading through Ecclesiastes this morning was such a breath of fresh air for me. It helped me, it helped set me free, helped me refocus and look at what is really meaningful in life. See, although I wasn't off worshiping other gods, I was off getting lost in the doing. And getting lost in the doing was making it all seem like vanity. The last couple of weeks, I've been on the constant go. It's going to make it a small Christmas this year, but then my heart just said, nope, keep giving. So my five people getting gifts turned into about 50 people getting gifts. Aside from getting the gifts, there is wrapping the gifts and delivering the gifts. So I've just had this gigantic to-do list written down and in my head with deadlines of when I have to deliver them because it's the last time I'll see the people before Christmas. I truly have been nonstop. Then at my last delivery on Friday, I only had 15 minutes to drop the gifts off to two people because I needed to be at a meeting. I still had to finish the card, which is the most important part to me, then deliver it, And I was in such a time crunch that I really wasn't even present as I dropped the gifts off. My focus was on trying to keep the conversation short and light because I needed to go do something else. I got home that night and I felt the vanity of vanity. Like this is empty and worthless. I don't even have the time to write a special special message in their cards, telling them why I got them something, how important they are to me, and how much God loves them. And I was just running on empty. I had been pouring so much out and not filling myself back up with time with God that it felt empty. I totally got what Solomon was saying. It's just grasping at wind. I had been in such the doing mode that I missed the grace and love and heart of God that I could have had in those moments. Not to say that God is not going to show up there and didn't show up there. I absolutely believe he did and will. But I just know that I shouldn't have gone around spreading the love of God with distractions on the mind and come back feeling empty. But again, I was doing it without spending the time with God during it. I knew I needed to stop doing. I needed to take a time out, gather with God, pray and talk to Him. But I just kept going. Like the sun rises and sets, I was on a life cycle. And God was missing in the last week of it. I had prioritized some things above God, and thankfully He revealed that to me. It's beautiful when God corrects us, because it is done with such amazing love and power. I say love and power because his forgiveness is there immediately 
when we approach him, and he gives us the strength immediately to change our ways and fight any resistance against the change otherwise. So why is the book of Ecclesiastes my favorite book in the Bible? Because it is my grounding book. I think I have homework for you all, and I want you to watch the movie The Rise of the Guardians, so you understand what I'm going to say next. I am a person whose center is appreciating. By this I mean I appreciate all of the things that the Lord has given me, big and small, in nature and in relationships. I want the people in my life to know that I appreciate them and that God loves them. I also value spending time out in nature and traveling, seeing all of the gifts of God has given us on earth. And for me, appreciation is best shown in time and intentions. This usually means divvying out, spending time with people in my life. And it's not just a few people, but a lot of people. I can get so caught up in making sure to spend time with people or doing things for other people that I don't have my time to get filled up with God. And that's where the vanity comes in, the emptiness. I cannot give and give and give without getting filled up. I've learned this lesson over and over, and I'm getting better at recognizing when I get to that place, praise the Lord. But it's still a work in progress for me. So Ecclesiastes always helps center me, helps me to remember I'm not out here grasping at the wind. And amazing as this world is and all of the things out there to explore, it's not what matters if I'm not doing it with God. I had to take a step back and cancel some plans that I had this week, and I had to give myself grace with that. Because if I am living my life on a cycle without God, it only goes downhill quickly. This is not to say that God hasn't been with me and I haven't talked to him at all. But I know for me, to get filled, there are certain times I need to spend with the Lord. I needed a refocus meeting with God to see where my eyes were focused and what things I really wanted to be pursuing. Where my heart was at with the Lord and what we were living for together. Like Solomon says, Like Solomon says yes to all of the things in the world, I was saying yes to all of the people in the world without consulting God first. So this podcast was a reminder to say you'll be home for Christmas. Have your heart at home with God. He is what matters. Living according to his word by dwelling on the lovely, loving your neighbors, loving him, rejoicing and being glad. His commandments are so much more than the words do not or than constrictions. Living with the fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. These are also commands. And all of these things I believe everyone can agree are good. Do not move through this Christmas season and your life on a vanity cycle, a worthless cycle grasping at the wind. Whatever part of this message hit home for you today, I hope what you can really see matters is that you are having a heart after God. That's what I had to tell myself this week. Okay, Lord, what matters? What things in my life are a must and what things are frivolous? Taking care of your health, but most importantly, taking care of your soul. If you want to start having a heart after God and don't know how, here are some some ideas. As you know, I will always start with the Bible because that's God's word written down, talking directly to you, and we should honor the Lord by reading the Bible. Other words are to just start talking to God. If you aren't used to that, prayer is ultimately just talking to God and make sure that you leave room for God to talk to you too. The more time you spend in God's word, talking to him, the more you can hear his voice. Other options are getting a devotional. It's a great way to start small, but it still has a powerful impact on your heart. I also recommend joining a church group or finding a Bible study 
Having people around you that you can study the Word of God with is powerful, and it really helps hold you accountable. There is also fasting. Fasting is asking God something you should give up. And as you're giving that thing up, you are seeking time with God instead. Whatever you choose, also remember to give yourself grace. This doesn't have to be for a long period of time every day, a specific set-aside time. This can even be every other day. And if you miss a day, do not stop. The devil would like nothing more than to have you get discouraged and stop pursuing a relationship with God. But God would never want you to stop. Thank you for listening today. I hope you were encouraged to make sure you will be home for Christmas, that your heart will be after God all throughout the year. Merry Christmas and Happy New Year.